Hello, listeners. The PCPS would like to invite you to a whole new way of supporting this podcast. With much gratitude to our monthly supporters on Patreon, we've listened to those of you who like choices, and some of you would prefer to make a one-time donation instead. Done. You can now go to the PCPS website at poppreservationist.com and scroll down until you see a button that says, Help Us Keep On Truckin'. The Pop Culture Preservation Society is a completely independent production, written, produced, and distributed by Carolyn, Kristen, and Michelle, and your monetary support is our only source of revenue. This is what pays our bills and keeps the podcast up and running. If you'd like perks to go along with your donation, then a monthly Patreon membership is still the right choice for you. You can choose a level of support that fits your budget, Superstar, Solid Gold, or Bicentennial, and get PCPS extras in your inbox as a token of our appreciation. Episode extras or outtakes, bonus material, downloadable art, and more. And if you still just want to make a one-time donation, you can pay for a full year at once and get a fat discount. We are good Minnesotans, so we hate to inconvenience you, but we will if it means we get to keep doing this job. Thank you so much, and please enjoy the show. Then again, maybe I won't. Then again, maybe I won't. Is that the theme song? (laughs) Hello world, it's a song that we're singing. Come on, get happy. A whole lot of loving is what we'll be bringing. We'll make you happy. Welcome to the Pop Culture Preservation Society, the podcast for people born in the Big Wheel generation who determined their status by how big their box of Crayola crayons was. We believe our Gen X childhoods gave us unforgettable songs, stories, characters, and images. And if we don't talk about them, they'll disappear, like Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition. And today, we'll be saving the book that taught us all about wet dreams, Judy Bloom's 1971 classic, Then Again, Maybe I Won't. I'm Carolyn. I'm Kristen. And I'm Michelle. And we are your pop culture preservationists. episode grew out of a comment left by 87 Ragged Tiger on our social media post about Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. 87 Ragged Tiger is the Instagram handle of a man named Shane, who was one of our original society members. He's been with us since episode one, when we still didn't even know how our mics worked. And he's also on the verge of releasing his own podcast called Pop Rocks with another PCPS listener, which will be totally dedicated to Gen X music. We cannot wait, and we'll be sure to let you know when Pop Rocks goes live. So all Shane said in this comment was this. Don't forget about the boys. Then again, maybe I won't was our version of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. That's it. That's all he said. But because we know Shane's penchant for sitting in and picking apart the culture of Gen X childhoods, that is all that it took for us to go, huh, I think he's right. (laughs) And when we threw it back to Shane for an inquisitive, like, hmm, tell me more about that. We were playing therapist, Mm -hmm. right? He did not disappoint. And we will share his response with you in a moment. So if you haven't read, then again, maybe I won't since you were in puberty, here's what it says on the back of the book in the original blurb. Ever since his father got rich from his invention and the family moved from Jersey City to a posh community on Long Island, 13-year-old Tony Miglione had had nothing but problems. There was his friend Joel, who Tony knew was a shoplifter, and there was Joel's 16-year-old sister, Lisa, who got undressed every night without pulling down her shades. 
Having a lot of money brought problems, too. The new maid exiled Grandma from the kitchen, and Tony's mother was becoming a social climbing phony. On top of all that, there were the growing up problems that all boys must face. And if his parents and friends knew what Tony thought about the whole business, they probably flip. That's such a that. 70s word. So, flip. no kidding, flip. They totally flip. Yeah, so um, here's how the reviewers responded to the release of Then Again, Maybe I Won't. Mrs. Bloom's treatment of the boys' big and little problems is refreshingly light and undemanding. And the fact that they are not magically resolved adds to their likelihood and recognition. And that comes from Kirkus Reviews. The New York Times book review wrote, Judy Bloom is on target. Her understanding of young people is sympathetic and psychologically sound. That blurb, though, I swear to God, that is, you can't write a synopsis better than that. That hits all the high points of this book without shying away from the dirty parts and stuff like that. Um, Okay, so now that everybody has a really succinct idea of what this book is about, let's talk about the cover for a second because it's burned into our brains, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Then again, Maybe I Won't is one of my favorite Judy Bloom books. And it, always was. I read and reread this book a million times as a kid. And it's it's the cover, though. It's the lime green border has always stuck with me. And then that dark brown room, which makes that little square window pop. It's not a fancy cover by mm-hmm. any means. Mm-hmm. Um, when I originally read it in, in the 70s, I, you know, he's, he's there sort of in shadow with the binoculars. You don't get, I didn't, I never got a creepy stalkery feeling, no, which I feel no, like I now people might get, but I got a really like intrigued feeling from that. What's going on? And that cover will always be for me, I don't want to call it the Bible, but it's like where I learned the boy stuff. Like the, yes, immediately yeah, when I yes. see it, it's like mm-hmm. the boys. The boys. Mm-hmm. The boys have hard-ons. The boys get wet <laughs> dreams. Honestly, that's all I've thought about this book until this past week when I read it again. Isn't it interesting with color, though? We associate lime green with this. Like, I associate that kind of robin's egg blue with Iggy's house. I associate yeah. purple with Margaret. We have certain colors we associate with a lot of. One Yellow with Deanie, for sure. Almost like a yes. yellow gold with yeah. Deanie. The other yeah. thing that stands out for me on my cover is... In the green border is the Dell Yearling logo. Yes, yes, and yes. that alone, it says Adele Yearling book, and then there's a little circle with a horse in it. Yes. And that logo alone can make me feel nostalgic. We don't re- we don't recall how many of the books that we read had that little horse on them, mm-hmm. Dell Yearling. Um, my copy of the book costs $2.25. And I also want to, I know this isn't the cover, but it's akin to the cover. The last page of my book is an order form for the MS Readathon. Really? Do you remember the yes. MS Readathon? Yes. Okay, it's there's a little cutout thing. It's got a dotted line where you can cut it with scissors. It says MS Readathon. Boys and girls between 6 and 14 can join the MS Readathon and help find a cure for multiple sclerosis by reading books. And they get two rewards: the enjoyment of reading and the great feeling that comes from helping others. And then you send that to the Multiple Sclerosis Society. I had totally forgotten about the MS Readathon. I think I was just mm-hmm. too screwed. Like, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, do you want me to show it to you? Look. Did they send mm-hmm. something to you when you registered? Yes. It was like um, like a tally sheet. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. And it's got a little bloodhound. Is he a bloodhound? He looks a lot like McGruff. The MS yes, Readathon yes, yes, dog yes, is like yes. McGruff. 
Oh my mm-hmm. gosh. And the and the font for the MS yeah. thing. Oh my totally. goodness. So the binoculars, Michelle's going to talk about this. There are binoculars on the cover of this book. And when Mike saw it, he uh he was like, "Uh." And I was like, "No, no, no, mm-hmm. Mike, it's not like that. It's not like that. It's just at the time, we knew that this was a boy who was curious about who was standing in that window. Um And there's a girl who's changing clothes in that window. And so he asks his parents for binoculars for Christmas because he wants to get a closer look of the girls, of the girl changing clothes. So Mike is right to go, ugh. But I have no way to, there's really no way to say that. Right. It was, I was very adamant about the fact that no, no, he's, he's just curious. Should he have been doing that? Somebody might need to teach Tony about, you know, the intersection of privacy and, and predatory behavior. But let's talk about what a 12 year old kid would actually have wanted to do. And there is a difference between curious and predatory. However, there are other covers that came after this one that is lime green. Mm -hmm. So many. The one that I have, this is uh, the ebook from the library. Um, And obviously by now we've taken the binoculars away from Tony on the cover because yes, I think especially as things have changed and it you know, in today's culture, people probably don't want to advertise that this is a book about a boy with binoculars looking at the girl. However, although I'm, I'm with you, it's totally natural, curious behavior. Even a psychologist in the book is like, it's fine. Keep doing That's it. That's okay. right. Yes. Um, um, wait, are <laughs> but, we going to go back to this? Cause this is where I have a ton of feelings. Yes, we will. Yeah. Come back. Okay. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Because yeah, I really want to chime in now. on a lot of this. Like, okay. I'm not um, agreeing with you two, but okay. this is, this is, um, the, oh yeah, the on the cover. Bike. And it's basically just an actual, oh photograph. Well, it's the current ebook I got from the library. It's a boy, um, listeners, it's a photograph, an actual photograph of a boy in like a a zipper hoodie riding his bike. And it's just like someone was standing behind him on the sidewalk taking Mm -hmm. a picture. He's riding in a neighborhood, obviously with grass and trees, um, riding down the sidewalk. I find it so boring. I would not pick that book up ever. Um, Absolutely. Does that photograph go with the story? Yes, it does, but it's not intriguing. It could go with a lot of stories. It's not, it's not that, that mysterious intriguing as, as the, the cover with the lime green and him in the, with the binoculars. There is a subsequent cover where there's a boy holding binoculars and the feeling is entirely different from this original cover where he's just like holding binoculars and looking over his shoulder, kind of in a shy manner. This one does look predatory and it is not okay. And I can see where they would have pivoted to a cover where it's just a boy on a Schwinn riding away. Oh, is this what you're talking about? Let's see. Oh, oh, this has to be current too. Yes, that is the one. That is not okay. That's a Except boy with a predatory is, look in his eye however, and he's lifting the that binoculars That is exactly to his eyes. what we can imagine Tony was doing. And we'll talk about that later. What I will tell you is with all of these covers that we've just looked at, all the different covers with binoculars, clearly this is what we're going to be focusing on, right? This yeah. is what, or this is what the reviewers or this is what the people who are creating these covers yeah. um, are finding as the focus of the book. When it's really just one small yeah. part. Right. One thing that I want to point out, there's a connection between Worldwide Crush and binoculars. And that is that Tony asks for binoculars for Christmas so he can spy on this girl. But of course, he can't say to his parents, I want to spy on a girl. So I need binoculars. Instead, he tells his parents that he's likes yes. bird watching. They're right. like, I have oh, that. our Tony, he's so intellectual. Yes. He loves nature. And 
Millie in Worldwide Crush, she wants something too. And she tells her parents that she has this lifelong fascination with whale migration. So if you have something you want, you can't tell your parents. So you make up a lie that makes them think that you're doing something educational to get what you want. Mm -hmm. A little thread between then again, maybe I won't and Worldwide Crush. Okay, so let me share with you what Shane said. 87 Ragged Tiger, when I asked him about his experience reading the book, because remember, he made the comment that was like, hey, you guys, don't forget about the boys. Here's what Shane had to say. So I reread Tony's story written as only Judy Bloom can, and it was only a few chapters in when I was hoosker dude as to why this book has always been important. Without getting into the details, the book is when I realized that I didn't like the same things as the other boys. I was more interested in the details of what Tony was going through without having one thought or any interest in Lisa. I'm sure that Judy Bloom intended the book to be for teenage boys to make sense of what they were feeling. But did she realize that it just compounded the confusion for some? Hmm. The other parts of the book, the shoplifting, military school, etc., took a backseat to what I had realized about myself. So what Shane is getting at here is that he was not attracted to girls. He goes on to say, That makes Tony's thoughts about, what if they know what I'm thinking, truly resonate. I'm sure that I thought, while riding my own Schwinn 10-speed bike like Tony, that someday I'd tell people about myself. But, like the last words of the book, then again, maybe I won't. (laughs) I find that, I I love that, Shane. And I find it so interesting um, that Shane related to Tony in a way that had nothing to do with the plot of the book. Uh Yet, it was the plot and the message, kind of, of the book and the things that Tony was going through that made Shane realize that. Does that make sense? Like that yes, made yeah, Shane. Totally. Yes. Yeah. So it's um it's like almost like meta. Yeah, it's very yeah. meta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> totally. And I was thinking too about um the fact that as readers, people have totally different experiences. We can read the same exact book while reading Shane's um experience with the book. I just saw it in a whole new way. Yeah, and I too. loved that. Yeah. I felt like the important thing about this book for Shane was the idea that Tony was having these thoughts and mm-hmm. that he was worried about his thoughts. And what if somebody knew what he was thinking and that Shane was able to see, oh, my God, I'm not the only one who has thoughts that I may or may not be ashamed of that I don't want people to know about. And that could be extremely validating. And so even though Tony's experiencing experience was not mirroring his own, it still meant that this book was a life-changing book. It still Mm -hmm. meant that there was help here where none was to be found. Some of the thoughts that Tony was thinking about were, of course, about Lisa, who he was spying on as she got undressed each night. But then it was also very simple things, like when his brother's wife announces that she's pregnant and he cannot stop thinking about how she got pregnant Uh and he doesn't like thinking about that. He's not enjoying it. He wants the thoughts to go away. He's really embarrassed by that. Or his mom sells underwear at the department store and he thinks, I wonder what it would be like to watch women try on underwear all day, right? These are the things that plague him, all very natural, but he's worried about what people will think of him if they knew he was thinking these things. At one point, he's worried that the maid is onto him, that the woman who <laughs> cleans for them and cooks for them knows what he's thinking, like she's some kind of mind reader. And he says, I can't tell if she knows about me or not, Yeah, <laughs> as if there's something wrong with him. And you can see Shane wondering the same thing. Oh, for sure. Well, and I think that one of the reasons I remember loving this book was because like for Shane, and 
and and this is with so many Judy Bloom books, we can relate to the main character, whether yeah. it's what they're doing or like for Shane or like for me in this book, because I'm a girl, right? It's mm-hmm. it's what they're processing, what they're going through internally. Um, totally. You know, like, like Tony, I also struggled with carrying things inside me, um, things that made me uncomfortable, family situations that worry you, but you don't want to say anything to your parents because you don't want to cause more worry or trouble. You know, being the good girl, so keeping your mouth shut so you aren't ridiculed, having friends who do things that make you uncomfortable, but you don't want to lose them or be labeled mm-hmm. the goody goody. Um, you know, I'm, I loved this book and, and you, you might, you, you, you like, you might wonder why I, did I love this book so much? And now reading it as an adult, I think that's why, you know, much yeah. like Shane, I had the same type of experience with this book that he did. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really getting what Tony was going through, but I could relate to his feelings. You had your own experience yeah. and embedded in that whole experience. The reason why that's meaningful for you is because all of those thoughts that you had, just like Shane, you make the assumption that you're the only one having those thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you read the book and you're like, huh, well, maybe fe- I'm not. You feel seen by so mm-hmm. many Judy Bloom books. Yeah. Um, yeah. You just feel seen. We, mm-hmm. we all felt seen. All of us. Uh, listeners are nodding their heads too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right? Well, I particularly felt seen when he would um, kind of have those dialogues in his head of – if I was going to, if only basically, and, yes. and he played out the scenario of what he kind of would really maybe like to do, I would say this, and then they would say this, and I would say this back, and then this would happen. And it was kind of not his imagination, but playing these scenes out in his head. And I used to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you get to a certain age, you think, oh, maybe that's too babyish. Like that's almost like yeah. kind of make believe or whatever. And you almost <laughs> yeah. don't want to share that with anyone. And so to know that not only is someone my age doing it, it's a boy, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, he had a very, he had a very sports. rich fantasy life in which yes. he would be in a situation in which he's uncomfortable. And then later on, he could imagine he was the hero and right. he would mm-hmm. play out what that would look like if he was the hero, if he was the big guy, if he said yeah. the, the insulting thing. And he mm-hmm. did that throughout the book. So it was a, a habit. For him, and I think yeah. it's a habit that a lot of people had. We always mm-hmm. imagined ourselves being able to do the big thing, even though in the moment we stood there holding our lunchbox. Right. Are we supposed to have stopped doing that by now? Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, hello. It's one of my favorite nighttime falling asleep activities. That's right. Oh, I wish I would if have. Only I would have said that. Yes. Right. Okay, so after all of that confusion for Shane, he shared one more story that kind of ties it up in a neat bow or a, a messy bow, or but a, a very lovely bow nonetheless. He says, years later, as an adult, I attended a book discussion and book signing with Judy Bloom. She was being interviewed by, drumroll please, oh, Molly Ringwald. <laughs> <laughs> this is so on brand for Shane. He's going to yes. be at every event with Judy Bloom and Molly Ringwald. This is he's going to track that down. He's going to make his way there. He says, "At the book signing, I could not decide between having her sign my copy of Then Again Maybe I Won't or my copy of Everyone's Secret Favorite Paperback Forever." So I brought both. When it was my turn, she smiled and said hi. I was kind of stunned that it was actually her talking to me. So many memories ran through my head at once, and I blurted out, Hi, Judy. I knew I was gay because of your books, so thank you. <laughs> and she, which you could totally see, right? She smiled and asked my name and then said, Shane, I'd like to think that I made you feel that it was okay for you to be gay. Oh. I couldn't process the importance of Judy Bloom saying that to me for weeks. 
It still blows my mind. P.S. She signed my copy of Forever. (laughs) (laughs) This makes me cry. That story, when I read it, makes me cry. And now hearing it again makes me cry. Just what she said to him. What she said to him. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talk about talk about meaningful and talk about someone who's an icon in your life. Right. Made a difference in your life meeting Mm -hmm. them. Without intending to, because that was not the book that she wrote. Right. Exactly. Just like you said, Carolyn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so one one reason that it had this impact on Shane and on us and all Gen Xers is because Judy Bloom introduced things in this book that had never been talked about before in children's fiction. Kristen, surely you're going to share the Gordy um, What's a What Dream story. Yes, again, okay, should you? I just okay. start with yes, that one? Yes, no, please okay. do. So, of course, the most memorable thing that Judy Bloom introduced in this book is the wet dream, which most of us had never heard of before mm-hmm. <laughs> when we were reading this book. And I've told this story before, but it bears repeating. When I was reading Then Again, Maybe I Won't, I was all cozied up in our living room on the living room couch, and my dad was in an easy chair next to me reading his book. And when I get to the part about a wet dream, I'm like, huh, what's that? Hey, dad, what is a wet dream? And Gordy puts his book down, and he's just chewing on it for a while. And I was like, well, maybe he doesn't know. (laughs) And finally, he looks at me and he says, it's like a period for boys. Which, of course, made me think that boys had periods. <laughs> and blood shoots out of their tinkler. Yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but I, of course, did not respond. I didn't say a word. I just put my nose back in my book. Sure. And I'm sure I right. blushed like crazy. Well, a couple things. Um, you know, up until a week ago when I read this again, I would have said this book is about wet dreams and hard-ons. That's mm-hmm. all I would have thought about. Um that's how it stayed in my memory. Um, and the wet dream thing, it's so interesting because she doesn't really explain it in the book. So I could see Mm-mm. totally why you would ask your dad. And I'm trying to figure out, I think, I don't know how I finally learned like what it was and why it happened. I think my friends must have told me. I think we kind of talked about it because mm-hmm. you know, this was one of those books that we were all kind of reading at the same time. And even more than the wet dream part... There's a scene in the book when Tony has to come up to the front of the class and do a math problem. And in his mind, he's talking about the fact that he hopes he doesn't get an erection, basically. But he never says the word erection. I don't no. think that word is in the whole book. So he says, I don't get hard. He says, he says get hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's kind of going through in his mind, oh, my gosh, what if I this happens to me? And um, what am I going to do? And then it starts to happen. And he has to, like... He doesn't want to turn around to the class. Anyway, long story short, I couldn't go back to school after reading that without looking at every boy differently. Oh, my God. I Did you thinking, know what it was? I think I might have known what that was Okay. Um, at the time. and But I only thought it happened, like, before a mom and dad were going <laughs> to have, <laughs> oh. have sex and have a baby. Like, I didn't oh, know this sure, thing yeah. could happen, oh. and these boys would have no control over it. Like, mm-hmm. huh, I didn't I'm either. Like, and no. so... Going to school and thinking, oh, my gosh, like, I wonder if Scott is having that or if a boy was carrying his books in front of him. Hmm, I wonder what's going on there. Right after I read that book, it was – I had a whole different way that I looked at the boys in my classroom. Uh Because you had the curiosity, right? And the totally natural curiosity that Judy Bloom just – 
um, tackle so well. Yes. I understood very little of the sexuality part. I the did first too, yeah. probably mm-hmm. handful of times I read this book. Mm-hmm. Getting hard confused the hell out of me. I always thought, you guys, he was very tense. He's getting very tense. Like, <laughs> yeah, is he oh, freezing up? Sense. <laughs> I couldn't understand why was he so embarrassed if his zipper, he needed a zipper to go up or he was so embarrassed because his zipper went up. I thought it was his zipper. And I just thought it was almost like a really bad typo. Oh, the the going up. Yeah. Yeah. It went up. Because he was praying for it to go back down. Please let it go back down. And all it made, he's talking about his pants and he's talking about holding his book in front of his pants. So I'm reading this book probably as a, you know, nine-year-old thinking it's his zipper and thinking they just misprinted it. Yeah. And that made mm-hmm. sense to me. And so yeah. because that's how it made sense to me, I accepted that. That's what I thought. Wet yeah. dreams, you guys, I thought he was wetting the bed. And he even, there's even a part in rereading this last night where he talks about how embarrassed he'll be if Millicent thinks he wet the bed. I must have just glossed over that. Like, well, he did. So, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. I was really quite clueless, which is amazing to me that I still enjoyed the book. When I really didn't know what any of those things meant, the whole, the zipper, the thing going mm-hmm. up, and then he, I, I can feel myself get hard. I just, I think I just skipped over it. Yeah. Like, well, I don't get it, whatever. I'll keep reading. And it wasn't until reading it this time at age 55 that I came to this. It was a very no duh moment. Okay. I did not understand this, but boys did. <laughs> they yeah, know exactly yeah. what she's talking right. about. She's not writing that for me. She's writing it for the boy who has been at the front of the classroom. And there was, that did happen in my classroom one time. And I still have horrible, horrible feelings about it, even though I didn't know what was happening. But there was, I'm not going to say his name, but there was a boy who had to stand up and read something. And he unfortunately was very pale with very pale blonde hair. And so his face was beet red and he's holding his book in front of him and everybody's tittering and twittering. And, and I'm like, what, what, what? And I remember my friend Allison said something to me. She might have said, he's hard or he got hard or something. And I still didn't know what it was. So I just went, oh, ha, 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 pretending that I knew what it was. And that poor kid, you guys, I still distinctly feel the horror of what he was going through. And my teacher was a man. And I'm now I'm like, why didn't he step in? Why didn't he say, say, sit down? down. You can read sitting down or call on somebody else, divert our attention somehow. And he didn't. And I have some anger about that now at age 55. I guarantee you that poor boy still feels the horror of what happened as if it was yesterday. Oh, God, can you imagine? And certainly he was not the only one. Right. Um, And Judy Bloom brings us all of these topics in rapid fire succession. On page six is the first mention of what dreams. On page seven is when he learns that Angie is pregnant and he's wondering like, well, God, I know how they had that happen. And he's just all worried about it. Did you guys just really quick side? Did you guys mm-hmm. used to think that as kids? I did all the time when you'd see oh, a pregnant yes. lady or if someone in the family oh, was like pregnant. my mom. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh my that's God, right. that's right. Yeah, Christine, my mom. I'm so sorry. I forgot. I was horrified. That everybody knew what they had done. I bet you were, because you were like ten, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, I was almost. I was almost ten years old. I was okay, nine never years mind. Old. Yeah. You just win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you win yeah. that one. <laughs> it was horrifying. It was hor- And my parents, of course, would never in a million years think she's embarrassed. But I knew too much. Mm-hmm. I knew too much. Um, on page nine is the first mention of his brother Vinny, who was killed mm-hmm. in Vietnam. We did not talk about Vietnam. No, in nineteen seventy-one, especially. Mm-mm. We didn't learn about Vietnam in high school. 
Right. Uh-huh. It was not talked about. Um, we talk about, she talks about his friend Joel and how he likes to go shoplifting, despite the fact that Joel is incredibly privileged and has all the money in the world, and yet he gets a thrill out of shoplifting. So she kind of shows how kids can have a naughty side. Um, I, by the way, was Tony in the shoplifting situation. I was in a friendship in which a friend was the shoplifter, and I was just like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? So once again, there we go back to even yes. though you're a girl and you mm-hmm. don't get hard-ons or have wet dreams, right. this is why we love this book. We There yeah. was so much about Tony right. that we all could put ourselves in and relate to. And that shoplifting kid, that's Joel. Joel has a paperback collection. And what does Joel do with his paperback collection? Do you remember? Oh, he like well, he annotates it basically. It. Yeah, he like highlights it. and I didn't get that when underlines. I was a kid either. What he was doing. I didn't get that they were like nasty paperbacks or, you know, I mean, no, I had not no nasty. Idea. They're like, you yeah. know, erotica, or whatever. But yeah, he's, he's clipping them together for the naughty parts. So that yeah. And then can... he shares them, you know, benevolently <laughs> with his friends. Here are all the naughty parts. I underlined them for you. I paperback, I paper clipped the pages so you can find yeah, them easily. Good business. Judy Bloom's job was to show us what the world was really like. Mm-hmm. Would it, have happened that these 12-year-old boys would find their parents' booze and start taking sips out of them and not have any idea what was happening to them, go too far and start barfing in the bushes, 100%. Sure. Well, especially when you've got the peer pressure of the yes. cool, you know, more privileged neighbor that you're still trying to impress. And at the t- in yes. the scene of the book, he's got his friend from Jersey in. Right. So right. he really mm-hmm. wants to impress him. So yeah. yes, you're, you're going to cave to the peer pressure, 12-year-old yeah. boys are. Yeah. Um, there's one thing that Judy do, Judy Bloom does so well, and that is um, portraying parents and the, and the gulf between parents and their children. And going back to getting hard. We're going to say that so many times this episode, <laughs> getting hard. Um, he's wearing, he brings a raincoat to school just in case something goes up. The zipper goes up, right? <laughs> this is his, this is his fail safe. If he needs to, he can just throw the raincoat on, cover it all up. Nobody will see it for the pop-up boners. And his mother is like, Tony, it's beautiful outside. It's sunshine. Why are you bringing a raincoat? And they fight over this and she makes him take his windbreaker instead. And it just as a lesson for us parents, like if your parent, if your child is doing something that seems out of character and unusual and illogical, let's not question it. Let's just <laughs> trust that there's a reason right there. Yeah. We're just so dumb. But we, we insert logic into everything. This may not involve logic. Don't argue. You don't know what's happening. It might have to do with boners. Just let it go. And let's not forget why she was concerned about this old raincoat. Also was what were people going to think? Like this was an old ratty kind of raincoat. Oh, and I think yes. she, her, she was concerned about, you know, I even got you an, a new jacket and stuff. Why are you carrying this ratty old um, it will reflect poorly on me. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that is yeah. a whole other part of this book that um, we yeah. need to dissect. We're going to jump into yeah. that in a bit because it's a big part of this book. Um, we have talked about the new realism movement in children's books on this podcast before, which really started with the publication of Harriet the Spy and Where the Wild Things Are in 1963, where authors were writing about how kids really are and what they really think and not just how adults want them to be. Adults want to pretend that 12-year-old boys don't get wet dreams, and we never have to talk about it. (laughs) And here in this book is the epitome of the new realism. At one point, Tony says, sometimes my parents are so full of bull, they make me sick. Only Judy Bloom could get away with that. Oh, yeah. 
painting adults as they are, which is clueless. And mm-hmm. even you go into the scene where, you know, the dad tries to have the talk with Tony. Oh, my God. Right? Oh. And, and Tony's just like, I'm fine. I understand. He's like, okay, great. You want to go play some chess? Yeah. That's so real. And what does the dad say? He's like, do you know about the things? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's it. Do you, do you know about the things? Mm-hmm. And he says, sure, Pop. I know about the things. He says, well, do you know about the other things? <laughs> he says, yeah. sure, that's... I know about the other things. Okay. And then inexplicably, the dad says, are you sure you have the right information? <laughs> like, what's he going to say? But right. also, it's also I do always um, appreciate how Judy Bloom, while, she, while maybe she is portraying parents as, uh, and, and, as having this big gulf yeah. between the parents and the kid, which is very real, I do appreciate how many of her books, the parents are very caring. And that's him. a great, that's a, you can tell the parents love Tony so much. They're mm-hmm. not ignoring him. Yes, is the mother, you know, trying to maybe um, save face at the expense of Tony a couple times? Yeah. Uh, but you never doubt that she loves him and cares for him. And that's the same through so many of Judy Bloom's books. Some not so much, mm-hmm. but um, I always appreciated that, that there was an attacked family unit in a lot of her books. Um, I didn't quite have that. So that was something that I always really appreciated. Well, and that might be part of the new realism too, is that you can have an intact, loving family in which the parents are really humanized as imperfect people. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that was something that came to me reading it again as an adult. And probably as a kid, when you realize how many decisions, and Kristen talks about this a lot, um, just how you don't have any agency to do anything. You have to have someone drive you or give you permission or give you money. And also so many decisions that really can dictate the trajectory of your life are made without your consent. And I mean, I'm going back to what your name is and I'm going to go to (laughs) something even deeper than that, that I think I've talked with Kristen before about is being circumcised, a minority of males that are circumcised in this world, okay? So obviously there's some cultural and religious reasons, but most countries, it is not an automatic, unlike the United States. It's automatic here, yeah. Yes, and Mm -hmm. as I was listening to a podcast that was talking about this, they were saying, one, this is a cosmetic surgery, basically, that will alter your physical being, and as this individual that it's happening to, you have no say in it. This is not life-changing. This is not whether or not you're going to live or die. And right when you're on this planet, you take your first breath, there are some decisions made that are going to totally affect your life. And then there's that. And then, of course, in this book, we've got his parents moving and, you know, even giving him things he's not asking for and expecting him to be grateful for them. Um And, you know, it's just, it's so true. It's And it's in middle school age where you start to realize, whoa, wait, like, I don't like this. I don't mm-hmm. want that. How dare you think that I don't that like I want the way that. my penis looks. Yes, right. Well, it's but they altered him for, for the real. rest of his Step life. Of his life. Exactly. Yes. Without him getting to weigh in on what, whether or not he wanted that. And for Tony, he's coming to an age where he's starting to resent those things. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Where he really wants more say. He wants more information. He mm-hmm. wants people to let him in on things. And he's feeling like he doesn't have any power whatsoever. Well, he ran down the hall.
I think we have always, we sort of talked about this a little bit before. I think we have generally viewed, then again, maybe I won't, as the boy version of Are You There, Goddess Me, Margaret. And it's not just that they're both about kids going through puberty. There are actually a lot of similarities in the stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not just the moving, moving to a bigger house, a better neighborhood, um, but feeling like the outsider but making mm-hmm. a neighborhood friend right away that's a little bit faster than our main characters puts them in uncomfortable situations, but they want and they need that friendship to fit in. I mean, I think Nancy Wheeler from and Margaret, Margaret mm-hmm. and Joel in this book are so similar. They're the same person. And they put they put Margaret and they put Tony in very similar emotional situations. And yet Tony and Margaret can't say no to this friend who is not a perfect match for them because they're the new kid and they need friends. Again, this is why I'm loving this book. I'm relating to this like crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that whole moving piece is just, um, I guess it was just so common back then, you know, that dads Mm -hmm. were getting transferred or families were moving. And that was such a common feeling of feeling like, an outsider, but the things you would do to, to fit in. Yeah. Just like, so, and the parent and the parental aspect of that too, they may not understand the change that the move represents for a child for that, for the parents, it represents something new and mm-hmm. different and they're moving on up. But for the child, it's entirely different. And here's another instance in which the parents are completely clueless. Um, when Tony's parents tell him that they're moving, this is devastating for him. He's doing his very best not to cry when they tell him this news. And his parents are like, oh, look, he's so excited. Oh, he's so excited. He can hardly contain himself. But really, what they're asking him is to leave the only home he's ever known, leave the only friends he's ever known, leave the only school that he's ever known, and start over with something which is completely and utterly unfamiliar. And same with Margaret. She's moving from Manhattan to the suburbs, which for parents, that represented, that's a big deal, right? Like, we're giving you a new life. We're giving Mm -hmm. you a better life. Isn't this awesome? And she's like, no, it's not awesome. I want my old life in the city. Why is this better? She, to her, it doesn't look better. Yeah, Yeah, I think, again, as parents, we sometimes do these things. We think, oh, this is for the best, or we assume these needs or wants that our kids have. But did we ask them? Did we consult with them? um, No, we didn't. And we think, oh, if I, when I was a kid, if I had received this, if I had Mm -hmm. had piano lessons, if I gotten the new coat or whatever, I would have felt so good. And now I want to provide that for my child. Mm -hmm. And then there's that realization. And I'll be honest, I've had it as a mom where you provide that thing that you so desperately wanted as a kid. And they're like, either nope, or I don't want it, or whatever the case may be. If it's yeah. a book you want them to read, or um, you know, the clothes, or whatever, and yeah, so you're kind of living vicariously through them, and in, in a you're providing what you wanted, right? Exactly. And with the assumption that, of course, every of course. kid wants this, exactly. And really, your kid is like, that's you. It's yeah. not me. I am separate from you, especially now that I'm in middle school and I'm trying overtly not to be like you, right? And it, uh, it's a very common parenting blender. Once again, you're powerless. You know, powerless. someone who was yes. in that position yeah. so many times in my life, I had no say. Ever. There's also um, a thread. There's a, a thing that Tony does that I think speaks to his anxiety. That's another one of the things that Judy Bloom addresses in this book mm-hmm. that had never been talked about before. 
true anxiety, not just necessarily feeling anxious or worried, but having actual anxiety. And Tony gets these stomach pains that actually land him in the hospital. And, um, and they, he ends up having a relationship with a psychologist. This is true diagnosable anxiety. And one way that he, that his anxiety manifests is that is something that Sally in another one of Judy Bloom's books, starring Sally J. Friedman as herself also does, which is that, They are frustrated when adults don't give them the information that they need, and so then they make it up, and they go (laughs) to the worst-case scenario. And this comes directly from Judy Bloom's own personal experience as a child. This is the way she um, experienced things. So on page 11, I just want to read this to you because I think this is both textbook and also um, comical. Um, So every day... When his father mysteriously gets up early and he leaves the house in a suit carrying a very special box, he does this several days in a row and nobody will tell him why. And this is what he thinks. He says, whatever Pop's secret was, I felt pretty lousy that they didn't let me in on it. I had a few ideas of my own, though. Number one, my father is a secret agent. The electrician business is a front. His real spy work is done in the basement workshop and his information is in that box. Number two, my father is in trouble with the Jersey City mob. He has to testify at hearings every day. The secrets are locked in that metal box. Number three, my father is sick. He has cancer like grandma. He has to go to New York for special treatments. His medicine is in the box. Oh, I know. But I, I did that same thing. Yes. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yes. yes, making up those stories. Mm-hmm. Oh, I felt so bad. And didn't you feel like Tony was... A sensitive young man or yeah, a sensitive totally. boy. Yeah. And again, in the 70s, I don't think that we as a society um, accepted that or we kind of poo-pooed it for boys. So I think for him, keeping mm-hmm. a lot of that in manifested itself in his, I'm going to say IBS, his anxiety. Yeah, he had that, IBS. Yeah. Essentially, that's what um, happened. And that made yeah. me so sad. Just to make the parallel with Sally, do you remember there's a scary man that lives in her building, an old, old man, and he lives by himself and nobody knows him and she's afraid of him and nobody will tell her who is this guy or help her understand who this guy is. And do you remember who she yep. thinks it is? It's Hitler. Yep. She thinks she's sure. Hitler. Yep. She's sure this man in her apartment building is Hitler. Like she just but goes straight to the to, worst case scenario. I that's another one of my favorites, and I used to believe it. I used to yes. feel like Sally did. I used to be like, I bet it is. <laughs> I bet it is. And it gave me a really scary feeling yeah. when I'd read yes. that book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that cancer piece that, you know, he goes straight to my dad has cancer. I think that is also a very common thing oh, for sure. people who feel anxious or have anxiety. Cancer is a big one. Yes. Yes. Well, his um, his grandmother had uh, cancer of the larynx and her larynx was removed. Is that how I pronounce it? Is it larynx or larynx? I know I that the larynx. That, I think larynx. it's an N. Is it it's larynx? spelled larynx. Larynx. Say larynx or larynx. Box. Say voice box. She had cancer of which I also. So we learned that Tony's grandmother cannot speak. And the reason she doesn't speak is because she had suffered from cancer of the larynx or larynx or however you want to pronounce it. We don't know which one it is. Yeah. Um, And so she could not speak. And he, um, 
he had felt a real kinship to his grandmother. I mean, he was, he was really close to her. So the way that Tony's grandmother really could show her love for the family and her caretaking was that she cooked for the family. And that was kind of the role that she played. And she loved that. And what happens when they moved out to the suburbs is that mom, Carmela, thinks she needs to hire a housekeeper, maid, cook, someone that's going to basically take care of the family or kind of take over this role that um, Tony's grandmother had had, which sends Tony's grandmother to her room in what we would know now as depression. It makes yeah. me so sad. And it's she so wouldn't come sad. out of her room. Yes. And he, he knew the reason. And he wanted to even say it to his mom, like, this is the reason why grandma's doing this. Here are two more things that Judy Bloom talked about that no one had ever talked about before in children's books. Cancer, <laughs> which we, what movie is it where they go, cancer? Like, you can't even say the word out loud. Is you have like to whisper my, it. I want to say it's like one of the, like, Steel Magnolias or one of those. Yes, it's know. one of those. Or, I don't know. And yeah. then the other is depression. She doesn't well, well, name and it. And the anxiety, too. And the anxiety. She doesn't name the depression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she certainly sh- portrays his grandma as suffering from depression mm-hmm. when she's no longer allowed to do one of the only things that she can do to love her family because she can't say it with words. It's so sad. Everybody's ignoring grandma now. And, and Tony takes it up on himself to be like, this isn't right. Like, so, so he's worried about grandma. He's worried about the friend stealing. He, he doesn't know his place in this whole, this, now I'm the, the son that everybody has all these expectations for. Cause one died in Vietnam, one's grown and married and is, you know, not sure what he now wants to do with his career. And it's a lot. And it, it absolutely is. And it's so. Yeah. It's so refreshing to see that addressed in a book. And that it de- it gets addressed literally. Like he gets these stomach pains and the family addresses it. They bring him to a doctor. He goes to a psychologist and he actually kind of likes his time with the psychologist. He likes talking to him. He talks about, oh, I told the psychologist this and he told him this. Like he's really kind of showing how going to a psychologist is not something stigmatized. It's mm-hmm. not something he's embarrassed about, and it seems to be helping. It's right. so, she does such a great job at making that whole process so non-threatening. Mm-hmm. I love, once again, I love that the parents immediately see this as something serious and they do something about it. In so mm-hmm. many books we read, the parents ignore it or the kid doesn't say anything about it. And then maybe they have a terrible experience. She has him have a very positive experience going mm-hmm. to therapy and, I love that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, um, I mean, I got to call out mom. Mom was not my favorite character in this book. And she's not a big fan of the psychologist. I mean, she's almost going along with, okay, well, the doctor said that. And, you know, um, he's just going to say Tony's crazy and Tony isn't crazy. And they, he just wants our money. You know, almost that, um, what do I want to say, that label that kind of mental health professionals kind of had early yeah. on. Like, if you go see someone, that means something is wrong with you. Yeah. Um, You're and crazy. So I think yeah, and what and if people that, find out you're crazy? Right, right. And I think to your point, Michelle, Judy does a great job of, of bringing that up, but then also having the, um, the doctors and even her husband say kind of that's not what that means. And there's nothing wrong with him. Mm-hmm. Like this is just part of the process of helping him feel better. There is one point where the doctor, I don't know if it's the psychologist or his doctor, doctor asks him about girls. 
like, do you have a crush on a girl? And he says, well, yes, I do. And the doctor's like, well, maybe you should tell her. Maybe that would help your anxiety. And I was like, no, don't don't do that. And also, this is not appropriate. I mean, it's one thing for a doctor to ask about the things he's going through. It's another form to probe into these private private feelings and then encourage him to do something very grown up, which he may or may not be ready for. And I think you should tell her. And she's also 16. I also like, feel like it was terrible, like terrible advice to say, oh, you can keep watching her through the, with the Oh, my God. Can we go there what? now, please? Yeah, I let's do go it. There. Let's I do it. I can't sit on it anymore, yeah. you guys, because, okay, this whole peeping Tom thing is basically what it is, okay? Mm-hmm. I Here's some places I have some issues. We know, based on Tony's anxiety and things like that, that he really wants to do the right thing. Like that's kind of where a lot of his turmoil comes up. We, we hear about the shoplifting. We know about the way they leave a tip for the, um, the waitress. They put their, their tip in the very bottom of a, of a, like an old milkshake or a milkshake they've almost finished. A lot of these things that he knows on some level aren't right. And he really, um, has qualms with it. I don't feel like he ever really has that when it comes to looking out this window. He, um, He's excited when it's nighttime. He asks for binoculars. Okay, people, he even wants to make this even easier to do. All of this is just red flags. And yes, then he goes to see the psychologist. He brings that up and he says, I look at my neighbor, he might even say through binoculars. And the psychologist basically says, oh, and how does that make you feel? That's what the yes, psychologist responds he goes straight to with. how does it make you feel? Right. I know. Where I might have even loved if Tony had said, well... Part of me doesn't think I should be doing this. It mm-hmm. feels kind of wrong and sneaky, but he doesn't say any of that. And I, granted, I agree with everybody saying, well, that's what a boy would do. I beg to differ. I'm not sure that my, I don't know. Would your sons have asked for binoculars to look in a girl's window? They have a swimming pool next door. She could have been swimming in her bikini and he could have watched her that way. The undressing at night with the binoculars, I did not, I didn't like it. I don't like that that's what people put on the cover. Like we already said too, it's a small part of a big part of the story, but it's almost like sensationalizing that little part. And then again, I realized, well, I guess in the early seventies, what we didn't think that there was something kind of icky about that. Because no, I, I cl- clearly not right, or she would not have presented it that way. Because right. I do, I do think that you're right. Well, I think that you're right in that now today somebody would have said, "Okay, we are violating her. This is a violation, and I understand why you want to look at her, but this is a violation, and we can't do it anymore." I think what Judy was doing was like your question was, "Would your sons have done that?" Um, maybe not. But I think the bigger question is, would they have wanted to? Yeah. Okay. And so she was just taking what a boy would naturally want to do and playing it out so that they could see themselves in it. But there is no question of whether or not it's okay. It's really not. I think back then we didn't see it as a violation. But to your point, he has a good sense of what is right and wrong and he wants mm-hmm. to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't seem to have any qualms about this one. Ever. Right. Which is odd. It's a little odd. And is this I want to okay? ask you Should guys this. this. Would Are you okay with um, your daughter or son, if they were middle grade right now, reading this book? Oh, yeah, yes. absolutely. 
Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. It helps that we know the book so well and that we know what the binoculars are and we can be like, okay, can we have a talk? Can we talk about the binoculars, please? Okay. Now, um, another parent might not have that experience or that memory. Mm-hmm. And so they I mean, may I think not it's have all that conversation. Of that. I, I don't know that I would feel comfortable, even though I do know the book and I understand where it's coming from. I just, it did not sit well with me at, at the end. And when the psychologist kind of played it off, it, it just, yuck. I just, yuck, yuck, yuck. Well, I feel exactly, Kristen, like you said, I feel like it's so normal and natural that a boy would want to do that. Would want to. I actually yeah. feel like a boy would do it and I would. I would feel like most boys would actually do it. The problem I have is that when he admits it, the the psychologist just says, it's fine. And then you get all the way to the very end of the book. And the very last line is maybe I'll even put my binoculars away. Then again, maybe, maybe I, won't. I won't. So we know that he might still continue to spy on Lisa with his binoculars. And that's a little problematic. I think it tells you everything you need to know about 1971 and how our views on what a violate mm-hmm. violation is. This is why we don't ban books. Because Carolyn has the right to say, I don't want my kid reading mm-hmm. this book. But Michelle and I are fine with it. And maybe we feel like we need to have a conversation with them well, about totally. it. And this is why we don't ban books. So right. that Carolyn has the right to say, exactly. I'm not comfortable with you reading this. And also, let's not forget, if he thought it wasn't wrong, he would have never said he wants him for bird watching. <gasps> right? Yes, that's true. He lies about it that's at the true. very beginning. But to sum it all up, I think the bigger point is that the psychologist is like, yeah, yeah. that's cool. That's not right. okay. There's no, there's no decade where that's okay. No. <laughs> okay, one last thing that I would like to talk about. The, th- the one thing that got added to, then again, maybe I won't, that we didn't see as much in Margaret, and Carolyn referred to this, alluded to it earlier, is the issue of class. What it means to be rich or poor or middle class, classy or trashy, how we treat people in a different class, because this really bothers Tony, and it seems to be the cause of a lot of his stomach pains, which Carolyn mm-hmm. said. So Jersey City, where, he's, where he is moving from, He's going from Jersey City to Long Island. This is like going from trash to class. It's like the Jeffersons. They're moving on up, right? And there are Mm -hmm. lots of instances in which this class issue comes up. Yeah, he watches his family. He hates it from the beginning because he watches his family um, just, in his opinion, disintegrate, I feel like, Mm -hmm. as they embrace all of the new very literal riches. Um, One that's coming to mind is, you know, the dad has his truck and the, the very rich neighbor is like, oh, you having some work done on your house? He's like, no, that's my dad's truck. And when he tells mom and dad, mom is horrified. And the next day, dad comes home driving a new Ford. <laughs> it's right. a new mm-hmm. Ford. Brand new car. And and he's like, are you guys crazy? You were embarrassed? So it's he's very conflicted through the whole book, mm-hmm. which like you said, this causes a lot of his anxiety. He doesn't know how to handle it, um, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah. I think the first time we see it is when he goes to Joel's house and meets their maid named Millicent. Mm-hmm. Except that's not her real name. That's what Joel's mom has named her because she has a Spanish name that the mom can't pronounce. And so she just decides, oh, we're calling you Millicent. <laughs> and it's sort of this instantaneous, um, you don't matter. Your name doesn't matter. You're just the woman who cleans for us. I'm just going to call you Millicent. She's treated like a second-class citizen. Mm -hmm. Joel especially treats her 
horribly. She's Ugh. a grown woman. She is his elder. And Joel will treat her like like his little sister, essentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Then, yeah. And then we fast forward to when um, Mrs. Huber comes over to do something. I forget if she's dropping something off. Joel's mom. She, mm-hmm. Yes, Joel's mom. Sorry. And when she's leaving, she says something to the effect to um, Tony's mom, you know, a see tomorrow, Carol. Now, um, oh, Tony's mom's right. name is Carmela. and Carmela and to- Miglione. Yes. And Tony cannot get over the fact that her mo- his mother is answering to this, doesn't correct um, Joel's mom and say, no, my name's Carmela. And um, he gets mad and he yeah. doesn't understand. He goes up to his room and then his dad comes up later and said, you really hurt mom's feelings, um, which is also another thing theme throughout this. A lot of the things that Tony doesn't want to talk about or doesn't want to bring up necessarily Mm -hmm. is because he is worried about the effect it's going to have on the other person. Like, I don't want to make my mom sad. I don't want to make her angry. Mm -hmm. And I'm working through all that right now in my life. Like, that is so (laughs) common. I think the epitome of this comes to light um, it's there's a wonderful monologue that I'm going to read out loud to you. When the boys, Joel and Tony and his friends, they go to a diner and they like to get milkshakes. And like Carolyn said, they drop their tip in the bottom of the milkshake glass just as a prank. And then poor Denise, ha- Bernice, the waitress, has to dig her fingers into the milkshake glass to get these coins. And at a certain point, she's just had it with them, leaving their pennies in the bottom of their milkshake glass. And she finally tells them off in a really important monologue. And I'm going to read it to you. Okay, so Bernice ran over to us and grabbed me by the collar. She's pretty big, and I had to look way up to see her face. You lousy little kids, I ought to tan your hides. Get your hands off my friend, Joel said, or I'll call the manager. He sounded like he meant it. No fooling around. Bernice growled. You'd like that, wouldn't you? You'd like to see me get fired. What do you little rich kids know about earning a living? You think it's funny to make me fish around for a few lousy pennies? Well, let me tell you something. I need that money, and there's no place you can stick it that I won't reach in to get it. Your crummy 40 pennies buys me a loaf of bread. Did you ever think of that? Wow. It's great. Mic drop. Yes. Yeah. Right? She really, you can tell that Judy Bloom did this so on purpose. She's putting mm-hmm. these storylines in on purpose. Can I um, kind of make a confession? Because yeah. as we were contemplating that question about class and status, I have a distinct memory. Like I can tell you when it was, where I was, when I first kind of became aware of class and status and being embarrassed as to what mine might be. And um, so I was in fourth grade and we lived in kind of a new subdivision out in Houston suburbs. And one day this like old train caboose shows up at the entrance of our um, subdivision, not in the subdivision, but probably like a hundred yards from the big sign West Memorial. And I didn't really think much of it until I had a friend who was moving and she said something to the effect of, well, we're not going to stay in this neighborhood where they just put old train cars out in front of it. We're moving to a better neighborhood. Oh, my. I felt like I'd been stabbed in the heart. Oh and it God. was the first time I think I realized like, oh, this means I'm like less than or like mm. we're cheap or and it has stuck with me obviously, till my life right now. I mean, I I know the swings that I was on. I know whose house we were at. And I was so embarrassed to live where I lived. And that that stuck with me, 
I can honestly say I'm still working on some of that stuff. I got to high school. This is really embarrassing, you guys. We had an old car, kind of like maybe the truck that Tony's family had. And when my dad would pick me up at high school, I'd ask him to pick me up like far away so people couldn't see our car. And yeah, but I hadn't felt that way until this friend, in quotation marks, pointed out how cheap this neighborhood was for having this train car in she front of it. planted the seed she did. for the decisions and the feelings that you would have for the rest of Forever. your life about class and status like there is a oh my God. they and a we and i was in not where i wanted to be i wanted to be them wow it's really interesting to see um how that dovetails with Tony's feelings about it because I think Tony went the other mm-hmm. way. He's he sort of clinging to his previous life. And why do we have to be up with all these richy rich people? Until, of course, like Michelle said, he does get the benefit of it. He gets a new Schwinn bike and things like that. But he's really uncomfortable with people thinking that his previous life was trashy. That makes him feel really bad. Well, yeah, it's like his own family is the ones who think their yes. past life was trashy. It's not even yes. others. It's mm-hmm. his mom and dad. And mm-hmm. um, and that, I think, really hurts because it's erasing this identity and saying that was – and he enjoyed it. He didn't see anything wrong with it. And he so loved he, his friends. And he, he thinks did. that this then it takes the people that were important to him and erases them and makes those people no longer worthy. And right. he really misses those people and enjoys those people. And so that causes him a lot of anxiety. And I think one of the last things in the book really sums up the entire thing. When his friend Joel is finally caught when he's shoplifting, he's finally mm-hmm. arrested. And Tony is both relieved, relieved and worried at the same time. But Joel gets off the hook because his father promises to give him a long lecture and send him to military school. That's all he does. And then Joel can, is set free. And Tony is so amazed that he's not going to jail. And Joel says, that's just the way it's done in Rosemont. Mm-hmm. If you're one of the Richie Riches, your dad just has to say, I'll talk to him. And then the Richie Rich can walk. Mm-hmm. If you are not one of the privileged people, you're going to jail. Judy then- Bloom again. On the pulse of society. Yes. And going so far as to when Joel's mom explains to Tony's mother, oh, we're sending um, him to a different school because there's better discipline and better education. And then all of a sudden, Carmela slash Carol slash mom wants to consider sending (laughs) Tony to military school. Little does she know. Right. And that right. And also, golly jeepers, like it, it, it irritates, golly jeepers, I sound like I'm opie or something, <laughs> but it just was really irritating. Like you're willing to send your kid off to boarding school somewhere because that's what you think the rich people do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're to keep up with the Joneses. Yes. Yes. She mm-hmm. never learned the whole book. No, it's a little bit reminiscent of the outsiders where she's really pointing out the haves and the Mm have-nots, that there's a real difference between the haves and the have-nots and how that sets you up for the rest of your life. So I don't think we can overestimate the impact that Judy Bloom had on the growing up experience of Gen Xers, clearly. The things we've discussed here are not just unusual for talking about in 1971. They're unusual for talking about in 2023. You know, we do, yes, we now have permission, thanks to Judy Bloom, to mention these things in books for children. But I can't think of any 
that have matched the openness of this book from 52 years ago. It opened the door, but this book still remains at the top of the mountain, untouchable in its usefulness, really, which is really how we define a classic. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to revisit Then Again, Maybe I Won't, consider buying it online from Judy Bloom's bookstore, Books and Books Key West. You can even send them a request to have your book signed. Seriously. It takes a bit longer, but it's worth the wait. But even if you get it without a signature, just knowing your copy has Judy Bloom vibes all over it, I mean, that's priceless. That's priceless. Thank you again, and we will look forward to being together again next week. And as always, we want to thank those of you who tell others about our podcast so they, too, can find joy in these conversations about Judy Bloom books, after-school specials, Eight is Enough, Your Love of Yacht Rock. Sharing our podcast and leaving ratings and reviews where you listen helps save all these Gen X nuggets from extinction. So thank you for being a Gen X archaeologist. Oh, like I that? like it. You like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to those of you who take your love and support of this podcast to the next level, literally on Patreon, you are truly what keeps the gas in our tank so we can keep this whole thing trucking. We appreciate your support more than you know. And today we're giving a shout out to patrons Liz, Allison, Marilyn, Courtney, Tracy, Carla, Aaron, B, and Kristen. Thank you guys so much. I love when you read those names. You guys mean so much to us. Thank you. And we also love when we can share extra fun with you. And we do it weekly in our email newsletter. And if you're not already signed up for the weekly reader, what are you waiting for? Do it right now. Simply go to our website at poppreservationists.com or at our link in bio on Instagram. It's really just that simple. And we will send you a link this week to Judy Bloom's bookstore. So you can order not just this book, but any book you want. Worldwide from- crush. Worldwide crush. <laughs> Subliminal messaging. <laughs> Ooh, what? Did I hear that? In the meantime, let's raise our glasses for a toast, courtesy of the cast of Three's Company. Two good times. Two happy days. Two little house on the prairie. Cheers. 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 The information, opinions, and comments expressed on the Pop Culture Preservation Society podcast belong solely to Carolyn, the Crushologist, and Hello Newman, and are in no way representative of our employers or affiliates. And though we truly believe we are always right, there is always a first time. The PCPS is written, produced, and recorded in Minneapolis, Minnesota, home of the fictional WJM Studios and our beloved Mary Richards. Nanu Nanu, keep on trucking, and may the force be with you.